I was so used to being able to predict his schedule to kind of know where he was that when things became looser, I realized a completely new aspect of quote unquote jealousy that people don't really talk about a lot. And I have called it like an entitlement to your partner's time. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 257. We're Finn and Emma. And today we have an amazing interview with Gabrielle, who was actually first on our podcast back in October 2020 on episode 151. You don't have to listen to that one to listen to today's episode, but today she comes on part two, round two, and gives us an update all about her life. Yeah, it's been over 100 episodes, which is just bananas. It's insane. <laughs> but so, yeah, as I said, you don't need to go listen to that. Uh, we Gabby will catch us up, or Gabrielle will catch us up a little bit on what that, what that where we were up until that point, but that is an amazing conversation in and of itself. And we talk about so many incredible things. Likewise, this one is the same and it stands on its own. We're talking about what's changed, but also like we've kind of not maybe come out of a pandemic, but the pandemic is shifting. Things are opening up and new jealousies came up, new things have come up, new anxieties, new mental health struggles. And so it's a beautiful conversation about all of that and getting back out into the world and navigating that transition like we thought the transition into a pandemic was hard, <laughs> but the transition. And now we're like, well, one. hold on, we got to come out of this damn thing. <laughs> so it is it equally challenging in a lot of ways, and so a lot of gratitude to Gabrielle for coming on and talking with us about it today. Yes, thank you so much. And a quick reminder that you can find all of her work over on her Instagram account. Links are in the show notes at normalizingnonmonogamy.com which we know you know already. Because <laughs> we say it all the time. We do. And so for anybody who is a premium subscriber, a huge thank you to you. We're going to jump right into the episode right now. And for the rest of you, you get to learn really quickly a few exciting things about us and what's going on. First up, about the premium subscription. So if you're not familiar, if you're interested in skipping over this little a few minutes of announcements on our end. You can sign up for a premium script subscription for as low as $2 a year or whatever you want to pay. And you can skip over this introduction and you'll still get the same fun community announcements at the end of the episode. So you won't miss out on anything good. That is, well, you might miss out on some good stuff. I've said that wrong. <laughs> we, there is so much good coming here, but we would love for you to sign up. You can. I don't want to, I don't, oh no, that was terrible. I don't want to imply that you'll, <laughs> you will, Shh, okay. I just need to back up. I just a, need to no, back you just up. need to stop. We just need to stop. So you, you know, to find the premium oh subscription. My God. To find the premium we subscription, we're not taking this out. <laughs> to find the premium subscription, you head over to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. There are links right there on the homepage. Scroll down towards the bottom, or you can click on your podcast player show notes. There are links in there as well. Okay, I'm going to keep going. All right, so. next up, let's see, let's see what we got on next on the agenda. These are all amazing things. This is all good. So <laughs> next up, our vir next virtual meet and greet is October 18th. That is this upcoming Tuesday. We would love to have you join us. These are open to anyone. You just must be open-minded and respectful. And you can go on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and sign up there. You can pay what you want, pay what feels good, and we'd love to have you join us. These are just a super fun a uh, low-key way to have a blast and meet a bunch of people. You seemed really unsure about all of that towards the end of that. Well, I was worried about not saying it in the way I wanted to say it, so I slowed it down. There you go. <laughs> I will just say, too, we've gotten some feedback on the last couple that they've been some of the best ones we've held. So if you want to dispute that, you're going to have to show up yourself and prove us wrong. Yeah, right. Or prove us right. <laughs> so to sign up, head over to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the community tab or the meet and greet tab or one of the tabs at the top. I don't remember which one it is anymore because we <laughs> changed a lot, but you'll find it or there are links in your podcast player show notes. 
The other thing, if you're looking for a community that we would recommend, is you check out our incredible Patreon community creeping up on 300 members. And it is just an awesome place that I think Emma and I have started describing it. Well, I'll say I've started describing it (laughs) as a place that feels like home to us. This is where some of our greatest and best friends hang out all day, every day and support one another. And we absolutely love the community. So if you're looking for that, we do a monthly Q&A. We do men's group and women's group calls. We have ongoing chats and it's just a great community support system. You can learn more on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. You click on the Patreon tab. I know what that one's called. (laughs) Or again, in your podcast player show notes. Yes. Also, while you're on our website, you can go and find a Give Love NNM shirt, normalizing non-monogamy shirt. However, it just says give love with our logo on it. So you can get shirts, sweatshirts. It'd be, hey, the holidays are coming up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> could this not be the greatest gift you've ever given? Right. So I yeah. mean, you could just give somebody actual love, but I think the real way to show it is with <laughs> a shirt that says it. That says give love. Yes. Yeah, of course. So uh, go check them out. They're super fun. We love them and we'd love for you to spread the word and spread the love. Give the love. Give the love. Give the love. You missed a really good opportunity I there. did. <laughs> I'm on a roll today. You're nailing it. The last thing we wanted to throw at you was our favorite sponsor and affiliate partner of the podcast, stdcheck.com. This is the service that Emma and I have been using for years upon years to get tested for STIs. We absolutely love it. It is affordable at about $129, exactly, about. About, exactly. When you use the links uh, in our show notes or on our resources page. So you save $10 and you help support the show financially, which is amazing. And a huge thank you to anybody who's done that. To tell you how fast and easy this is, well, you could have signed up and basically gone to a Quest or a LabCorp (laughs) and got your test done in in the time that you've done listening to this. And that's really because you didn't sign up as a premium subscriber. So you really, you really made your but own. But these bed. are all super important <laughs> announcements that we want to get out to all of you. They are, and so truly, though, it is a fantastic service, and we highly, highly recommend it. Check it out. Links are in the show notes or on our podcast player, in your podcast player, or on our website. And while you're there, reach out to us. Send us an email. Send us a voicemail. We absolutely love to hear from you, and we look forward to it. I don't know that we have anything else other than going to talk to Gabrielle. I think that's it. Let's go. Welcome to back. Welcome back to the show, Gabrielle. We're glad you're here. Thank you for taking some time this afternoon to talk to us in the middle of the summer heat wave. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited about this. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, my name is Gabrielle Smith. I am a non-monogamy educator. I'm a writer, journalist, what have you pretty much talking about intersectionality and non-monogamy on Instagram primarily, occasionally on TikTok. Um, and I really love talking about, you know, essentially normalizing non-monogamy. So always fun to be here. Yeah. yeah. It's a perfect fit. It's a good thing we found each other. <laughs> <laughs> for, for anyone who didn't listen to your first episode, which came out almost two years ago, episode 151, would you be willing to give like a two-minute high-level overview of like who who you are, what your relationship style kind of looks like, and what life looked like up until 2020, October 2020, and then we'll, we'll go from there and see what's changed. Yeah, for sure. So right now and before, I identify as solo polyamorous. I'm New York City-based and specifically Brooklyn, which I think does make a big difference in your ability to practice non-monogamy because there's a great community here. Um, In October 2020, I think I was three months out of just beginning my platform. I started posting and writing about non-monogamy, educating, because I saw there was a niche that was not, you know, filled. I didn't see anybody really who looked like me, who was creating the type of content I wanted to see. Most people were partnered. Most people were white or they you know, we're in these, um, you know, triads that were two women and one man. Um, so, you know, my reality and the reality of the people around me looked very different. So I decided to, you know, start writing about it and, you know, people liked it. I got very lucky. Um, I currently have one partner who I consider my anchor. His name is Alex. And, um, I have another like kind of satellite partner. I call it's like a romantic or erotic friendship. We can call it, 
But yeah, I was pretty still new to it when we were talking, exploring full-fledged polyamory. I had been with my married partner, Alex, for maybe like a year and a half at that point. And I had explored all the really amazing things. And then the pandemic happened. And, you know, we started to learn about a lot of the harder stuff with non-monogamy. It was still peak lockdown. So I think if we, you know, kind of go past what we had talked about when the vaccines came out, um, after having this like functionally monogamous relationship for eight ish months, it was kind of hard to like get back into the swing of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting is it was sort of a functionally monogamous for you, but like you said, Alex is married or, or was married and you were, you were an additional partner for him, but it was sort of a closed ecosystem because of the pandemic. And so, yeah, what did, what did sort of coming out of that closed entity look like for the two of you or for the three of you? Yeah. To kind of describe it, what we have a lot of COVID protocols and rules. So I was allowed to date within those um, parameters. He wasn't really allowed to date because his, um, his wife, who he lives with, they share one bedroom, wanted him to quarantine if he was going to see anyone who wasn't me for a few days before um, coming back. So he wasn't able to see anyone else. And I was getting COVID tested like once or twice a week. Um, when they had those super, super long lines. So I was able to see other people coming out of it. I really thought I was going to have a better time. I think I didn't really think I was going to struggle as much as I did. One thing I really learned was that because we had this closed situation, I was so used to being able to predict his schedule to kind of know where he was that when things became looser, I realized a completely new aspect of quote unquote jealousy that people don't really talk about a lot. And I have called it like an entitlement to your partner's time. <laughs> yep. So yeah. <laughs> so for me, that was me kind of realizing, you know, I wasn't upset or anxious. Let me dial it back. When my partner was going on dates with new people, I would feel anxiety. And I was trying to really figure out what's going on there because I didn't really care when he was with his wife. I hadn't really cared in the past when he was with certain partners. So I really had to look inside and I kind of had this revelation when I realized he, I have his location. He has my location. It's really common in the city, especially for safety reasons. Um, I really like it when he comes to pick me up and I get to, you know, see if he actually left on time. (laughs) And what we did, what I looked and I saw he was somewhere and it looked like he was an apartment complex. And I was like, is he on a date? And he didn't tell me. And I got very anxious and I was like, why am I stressing out about this? Other than obviously the deception. When I had spoken to him afterwards, he was like, no, he was at dinner with his wife and her mom. I just didn't realize there was a um, restaurant. And I was essentially thinking, well, I don't really care when he's with his wife. That doesn't give me anxiety or like a partner. I know I don't care when he's at work. So why am I getting so stressed out? And I realized it was just because I wanted to have that freedom to talk to him whenever I could. So I have that when he's at work, you know, if it's something pressing, I can call him when he's with his wife. But because, you know, when it comes to newer relationships, you really do have to respect that time a lot more. I was at a loss. So that was an interesting thing to kind of figure out. Well, and it kind of like seems like it, you know, you had some of that back before COVID and you had some experiences where he was dating other people and then and it didn't really bother you too much back then, but it was a fairly new relationship at that point too. Yeah. And then you went through COVID together and, you know, we're more monogamous and then you started dating more and he didn't because of COVID protocols. And then you went to uh, where he started dating again. And I can see why those feelings came up. You have a more secure relationship. You have a longer relationship. And I, I love that you were able to kind of dig in and see and learn where those feelings were coming from. Yeah. I think too, what's interesting is you, you just said it, Emma, like there's maybe more security there, but that 
almost seems counter to yeah. getting additional, like having additional jealousy come up. But I think for one, it kind of shows that like none of us are really immune to that. No. But also like how easy we can fall into the, like the day to day routine. And COVID did that for us. It cut, it cut all the bullshit out of our lives. And we were like, we're doing the essentials now. And if you kind of become somebody's one of their essential things and all of a sudden there's new stuff coming in, like, yeah, I can see where it's like, Hey, wait a minute. This used to be my time. And not that you think you get all of his time or he should get all of yours. But like, if the time starts getting less, I can see where that would be like, Oh, this is new, not bad, but like definitely new. And I've got to re reevaluate this. Yeah. There were a lot of readjustment periods around that time. Obviously we got vaccinated. This is May, 2021. Uh, we got vaccinated and I made a conscious decision to pretty much only date women. I wasn't really interested in men at that point. I've dated tons of men. I have not dated enough women. Um, I moved to a new apartment and, you know, truly like COVID brought out a lot of depression for me. Um, that isolation period, I definitely learned a lot about myself and it was really helpful in figuring out a lot of things, but I think in a way, I'm still like crawling out of it. A lot yeah. of people are very, the pandemic is over. I um, don't believe in that. And I think a lot of people I learned when we all got vaccinated, were not processing their trauma, like this mm-hmm. collective trauma that we all had. So I kind of found myself going on dates with women, you know, being who I am naturally, which is communicative, like, I have these conversations. I ask people questions about like their family and stuff. And that was being read often as like, Oh, you want to get too serious. (laughs) I had a girl tell me, um, that she was like, yeah, I just think I just want something light. And I was like, I could have done something light. Are you upset that I asked you like what your family is like? (laughs) Right. But that's you. Right. But Mm -hmm. like, you don't want to show up and not be you. Cause then what you're trying to like lighten your approach to match her does Mm -hmm. that would that like work for you do you think no no (laughs) (laughs) um ultimately what ended up happening was i think i dated three or four girls and i realized this approach wasn't working and i needed to take a pause i was also on new medication um that wasn't really working out so it made me kind of more anxious and really i continued to learn the impacts of being mentally ill i am so and non-monogamous. So I'm someone who I have anxiety, I have depression, I have ADHD. All of these things affect how I relate to the world. And in that way, it affects my relationships too. And in trying to treat that, it actually did mess up a lot of my relationships temporarily. Sure. My partner had a lot of pressure to take care of me. And he also wanted to get, you know, past all of the nonsense of that heavy lockdown stage. So it was a lot to balance, like all of this change at once. And truly it took like a year for us to settle. I was freelancing for two full years and the ADHD and the anxiety, um, made it not really sustainable anymore. So I decided to get a full-time job. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And what does that shift look like then for like for your own personal the things you're feeling, but also like in your relational orbits around you? Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons I chose to get a full time job, but the main thing was, you know, the lack of financial security. I was not lacking for work. I got plenty of work, but it was my ability to complete the work that was really the struggle because I had all these things going on. Um the biggest issue was task orientation. Mm-hmm. So kind of what, what do I start on next? How do I plan my day? Um, a lot of, just a lot of like weird symptoms came up with the medication I was taking and the change in my life. I'm sorry. When you are asking like what the change was personally, are you talking about like with my relationships or yeah, relationships or just your own. I'm, I mean, I guess maybe speaking personally, right? Like I'm feeling very similar. I'm, I'm guessing to some of the things that you've probably felt like, yeah, there's no financial security here. 
maybe there's work, but is it going to be enough or can I get it all done? And now I'm distracted by this other thing. Well, and sitting in that instability is really, right. It, really it creates this like internal feeling of everything is unknown when that like maybe did that shift for you. And if it did, like what did then, how did that like the domino effect through the rest of your life look like? Yeah. The instability, it was very much, um, let's say I would work from nine to six and then I'd see somebody, my partners afterwards, and they really didn't know who they were going to get. If it was going to be a good day or a bad day with me, was I going to be stressed out because I didn't get anything done? Was I going to be happy because I actually accomplished something? Was I, you know, going to be resigned? And I think that was a lot. It, you know, resulted in my, much more anxiety on the day to day. So when we were back out in the universe, I was finally able to meet so many of the friends I had met online. And that was great. And everybody received me really well. I got, I got to start help promoting parties with this collective called space invaders. You know, they throw mixers, but at the same time, I found myself leaving parties early because I had anxiety I found myself overwhelmed and, you know, my partner and I for a while were going back and forth because, you know, he's an extrovert. He's very socially, um, it, socializing is very easy for him. And, you know, I was kind of relying on him and using him as an emotional crutch and that caused issues. So we had to come to certain terms, you know, if I wanted to leave a party, that meant I was leaving the party, not him, unless it was really bad. Uh, it meant that, you know, we'd go with expectations or without expectations of what the night was going to be. Um, we'd communicate, Hey, are you, how are you feeling today? How are you feeling, um, about going? Do we really need to go? What's the energy like? We'd have more conversations about it, but eventually it's kind of like, it's very strange because my partner was having had two partners. So he had two people to emotionally support. And for a lot of that time, I only had him. So he was my main source of emotional support. And that was really stressful for him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When you're the person that has to try to support two people and mm -hmm. you, it, it, you can only, you're only one person. Well, but also, and, and I know you, you haven't leaned on like the, the hierarchical terms of like primary, secondary, but he was your, he kind of was your primary just by default of there were, there was nobody else. And, but you weren't necessarily his, not that you were less important than maybe his wife, but he had two and you had one. And so there's definitely a difference in energy available. Yeah, for sure. And um, me and his wife, we were quite close for a while. So I think there was some help there. The more I was not able to show up for people, the less like my support system, the less I had my support system. One thing that was helpful was like, I did meet someone who I, I dated for about eight months. Um, and it was my first girlfriend for real, you know, like we made it official and it was nice to explore that side of myself. It was nice to have two partners for a decent stretch of time. People who were committed to me in different ways. Um, her name is Ivy. Uh, people might know her as plant gal. She is like a sex worker. Um, we're no longer together, but we're still friends. And, you know, it was just nice to be brought into a completely different world. You know, most of her friends are sex workers and there's a level of like openness that you kind of won't always find with, um, different groups of people who don't work in sex. So that was nice. And I don't know, it was just nice to like explore my bisexuality way more than I really got was allowed to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And I want to jump in and talk a little bit about that, like that journey and a little bit about being in a relationship with a sex worker, but I kind of wanted to put a, a little bow on the, the piece with, with Alex, where you'd said like coming out of the pandemic, it took about a year to settle in with you. You talked about the jealousy around the time and expectation. What, like looking back at that now that you've, it sounds like you've kind of come through that period what were some of the things that like helped you to settle into a place where you feel better about that? So you can 
move along and move forward together in, in a way that feels better? Well, time was really the main factor and just getting used to it again. Yeah. Mostly just understanding what was going on. He was casually dating for a year. And um, now mo- in the past two months, like he has another girlfriend and us having conversations about that kind of went on the back burner because we were focused on my mental health. And it's an interesting thing in a relationship with somebody who is neurotypical and somebody who is not, um, because often someone who doesn't have mental illness will sideline their own problems, to take care of the other person. And it actually created this interesting dynamic where I, it kind of came out of nowhere where he was like, yeah, we are actually getting a little bit more serious, him and his other partner. And I was like, whoa, I have to like recalibrate my brain for this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that took a little while. And I just was like, you know, let me ask questions about her. We established this protocol where he wouldn't say anything about her unsolicited, but I would challenge myself to ask questions. And that way the ball was in my court in terms of like learning about who this person was within my comfort. But if I was having a particularly anxious day, I knew not to ask questions that would make me more anxious. And then I finally met her. And I always, always suggest people meet the people their partners are dating. For me, my anxiety is an unknown. The minute I met her, most of the anxiety went away, (laughs) which I feel like I told you you guys last time. Um, So always, always meet your metas. And what do you think about that for you does that? Like when you meet somebody, what happens for you in that moment that lets that anxiety melt? I think it's just about feeling someone's energy. Um, not knowing who someone is and having a big question mark is really just for whatever reason, doesn't sit well with me when it is something so close and intimate. Yeah, totally get it. Yeah. It takes away the mystery. I know like for me too, that does the same thing. Like if I know someone and if I'm like just even meeting them or getting to know them and having some sort of friendship or at least knowing that we could reach out and have conversations if we need to like that type of that type of uh relationship in a way is so helpful um to work through those emotions for sure yeah i was curious did you since you've had a job a few months now and you you made that transition mostly for for a lot of reasons you say how have you seen it impact your mental health and your relationships uh and Yeah. What does that look like now? It's a slow building block. I got the job at the end of May and April, I decided to make the change. Um, I was really lucky. I found it really quickly and got an offer very quickly, which is the power of social media. (laughs) (laughs) And now, so I'm working for a little startup in uh, the city and it definitely brought up some of my latent social anxiety because I've been able to be myself in entirety for the past two years. And not that the new job doesn't allow me to be who I am, but it's work. You have to be professional and getting used to corporate culture is um, a big learning curve for someone with ADHD, especially because the social cues are just a little different, especially when you're out of practice. I'm very used to being around people who are you know, sex educators or sex workers, and we're all very informal um, in our work. So it's easy to just talk and most of the stuff is done via DM. So now we're all on Slack and I go into the office three days a week, which has been really helpful. But overall, it's it's a slow descent, (laughs) a slow ascent. Yeah, 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 I totally get that. And I can appreciate that. I think I was I was curious too, and I know you touched on this. Being in uh, you, you had your first real, as you said, "quote unquote" real relationship with another woman for about eight months, and that she was a sex worker. And maybe this kind of ties into like what you're talking about here is like what what was that like that balancing that relationship with somebody who is by nature probably 
probably going out and having sex or sex related interactions with other people regularly for their job. Well, maybe was that your first time dating someone who was a sex worker? Yeah, full time for sure. I probably have dated people who have done things here and there or like people who may have sugared, but the first time it was someone's full time job and they were known for it in public. That was the first time. Um, I truly did not care. (laughs) It was interesting. Um, She mostly had sex with other women. I had, I had a few like really funny rules, not rules I would say, but things I was like, you can send me your porn, but I'm truly not interested in seeing men have sex with you. (laughs) Um, unless like that's the thing we're doing together. Her group of friends was more sexually open. They weren't, they're not all sex workers, but, um, the polycule was a lot more, as we call, lapsitting than um, mine was. So lapsitting polyamory is te- technically when everybody is kind of sleeping together or dating or they have a very um, intermingled bubble. Sure. So that was interesting. And that really never bothered me either. I literally, once I was at her apartment and she was going to do a shoot and the hotel they were shooting and fell through. So she had to shoot at the house. So I just was like there typing away at my um, computer while she was like having sex with a man, like in the bedroom. And I was like, I'm just going to put in headphones because this is distracting if anything else. (laughs) (laughs) So I I have to imagine for me, I would probably be, it would probably take me about an hour into that experience to then be like, what is my life? <laughs> like, <Right>. what is- <laughs> it was hilarious because the song would change and I'd just hear like some noises going on. And I'd be like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, And she was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm like, I, I truly don't care. Um, the guy was very nice. Like the cameraman was fine. We were all just laughing about it. <laughs> what's interesting though you say that that like because you're you kind of said you had like this ground rule of like i don't want to see the porn if it's you and another guy unless i'm part of it but then it sounds like you met him and maybe that in, this instance right in this instance right and that sounds similar to like you meet the metamorph you meet the the other person and some of that anxiety can like r- r- melt away and maybe not all of it but at least some of it i just it's an interesting thread Yeah, it wasn't anxiety that made me not want to see her porn with men. I just, the nature of the porn, you know, was very like um, kinky or rough. And I was just like, I'm not interested in seeing these guys who like, you might like, or you don't like, um, like having sex with you in this way. It's really hard to describe. But for me, I was just like, I don't know how to say it in a way that's like not problematic, but I was just like, men are gross. (laughs) Fair enough. I'm not going to take offense to that. Um. But but you're also like, you're also saying that as having another partner that is a male. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I just, I think maybe if I liked the guy, sure. I would be what I would be interested, but it's kind of the same thing where I don't really, I'm, I usually like women, so it's not a big deal for me to see her have sex with other women. Um, but yeah, I think I just, it's a bisexual um, conundrum, like sure. afraid of women, but like disgusted by men. And I mean, that's a strong word, but I knew the guys that she was having sex with on camera. And most of them I was like, ah, about just like knowing sure anecdotes about them so i wasn't interested in like seeing it <laughs> yeah the the thing that came to mind and this is weird is the the, <laughs> the the intro to law and order where it's like everyone's innocent until proven guilty and it's sort of like men are disgusting until proven otherwise and i'm totally okay with yeah that stereotype. yeah like i i be, i understand it and uh i can't argue it so yeah <laughs> and i'm as you're laughing so hard you can't even hear <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get what you're saying. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll get hate mail about this, but that's okay. <laughs> um, there, there was something in there that, that I, 
it's it's sort of related but you you said you were doing like some some different parties and things and i think these are kind of related to what you were just talking about but like the the role that community has played for you in this journey like being able to go to events and be part of different communities like your friend your your girlfriend's community of sex workers and now like maybe alex's community is opening up and you found some parties like what has that community looked like for you and what role has it played for you in your journey the last year and a half it's been really interesting i've i've really enjoyed meeting the people i've met and that physical space of polyamory is so important what i found and had issues with i guess is and this may be a new york thing because new york is very stressful people are doing you know it's just new york's a lot but these spaces i was entering um were very white my other partner is white but actually her spaces weren't an issue and the kind of more quote-unquote general spaces have a lot of issues I got a little bit more involved in the kink and um, non-monogamous scene. And it's such a complex like level of issues. So it's hard to describe. But the more and more I learned about bad actors and people who were allowed to move around in spaces because they, you know, had friends that were in charge of parties or people were kind of allowed to sideline people of color and stuff. The more I realized that I had to say something, but it Mm -hmm. also felt like if I said something that would jeopardize some of my, you know, work opportunities. So on the back end, I did things like one of the things I did was like with space invaders, I had them implement a tiered system. So people of color, queer people of color got reduced tickets to go to events um, in, ter- in the idea in, in the interest of equity pricing. These events were super white. They recruited me. And in the past year, these events are no longer super white because you have to curate spaces where people feel comfortable. And I often took issue to being the only black person in the room because I am a quote unquote acceptable version of black. Um, I'm light skinned, you know, I'm college educated. I am dating white people. So that makes people feel more comfortable around me. Yet I would still notice kind of microaggressions um, here and there. Uh, People kind of shrugging me off when I talk to them about diversity or like trying to get more certain people in the space. And I think that was an issue that I had to really struggle with. Um, You know, one of my partners got into a bit of an altercation with someone at a party and that party took the side of their friend um, as opposed to really bringing in neutral actors to kind of determine what had actually occurred. And you know, most of these places, when we're especially talking about kink and sex parties, I think they treat consent violations like if they happen, not when they happen. Sure. Mm, yeah. And I think we have to understand these things are inevitable and that there needs to be a full scale protocol for when these things occur. And I've seen it mishandled in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I imagine on another level too, when it's probably an imbalance between if, if a person of color creates a, a or, or there's a consent violation versus uh, the white person who's good friends with the, with the owner of the party, right? Like there's a double standard in the way that that gets handled. Yeah, I could see that happening in these issues. Like I've kind of mentioned there, they've all involved white people, but even in terms of like diversity in a space and things being an issue, Alex and I went to a sex party and he hadn't brought any implements. We 
were talking to a mutual friend of his and they had like a whole rule out of toys. So they were asking me, Oh, what do you like? Da, 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 da. Um, what kind of pain? I was like, stinging is fine. I bought him when it comes to my, to Alex. And eventually this white man brought out a whip, like as a suggestion. And I was, I, I see the whip and he's essentially saying, Oh, your partner should use this on you. And I was like, Oh no, 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 no. Like not, not, I'm not interested. And he took my hesitation as like fear that it was too painful as opposed to, um, the historical implications of a white person whipping a black person. And, you know, I had to decline several times and it became really uncomfortable to the point where after that incident, Alex and I had to leave the party because I, I couldn't be there anymore. So I think that level of often ignorance, like I don't believe this person was a bad person. I believe they genuinely didn't know what that meant. However, there is that also that consent issue. Somebody says no the first time you let it go. I'm I'm curious in that situation. And sorry, I'm just, Mm -hmm. if, if he had asked the first time and you're like, yeah, no way. And, and you didn't really probably want to go into all the reasons there. If he had been like, yeah, my, my apologies. Like here's, here's a hundred other things. Pick what you want. Do you feel like your reaction coming out of that would have been like, you wouldn't have had to leave the party. You probably wouldn't have felt all those things. Cause you weren't continually being like, no, come on, no, come on, take it, take the, like, take yeah. the thing that you said you don't want. Yeah. yeah if it had been a, a suggestion and I had said no the first time that it wouldn't have been as much of a problem. Like it would have just been when me and Alex went back, I'd have been like, Oh God, this is like, that was weird, but it is what it is. Um, but it was definitely the kind of coercive element of it. And that's something mm-hmm. I'm sensitive to. So yeah, it's, it was a double edged question. And that's also why we have really great consent educators now um, in the spaces, but at the same time, they're not perfect. Nobody is. And I think that's, we have a long, long journey before these spaces are safe, like truly safe. And when you really look at it, like sex parties are not super legal. (laughs) So there's no real level of accountability. Not that I think the government would really be good at doing it. And I don't (laughs) want the government in like this, just like we don't want to, you know, we want to just decriminalize um, sex work as opposed to legalizing it. So I think really it just would be a decrim situation. But I think the system is not super great. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think also what's hard in that moment is that you said there's a lot of consent educators out there. And this person that was interacting with you may have just been very ignorant However, it's not also not your job in that moment to be that educator to him. Like you can choose to teach him if you want to in that moment, but you also, that's not on you. Like it's, it's tricky because you can say like, well, if I would have stopped and probably like tried to explain it, like it might've been better for the next person, but at the same time you have to take care of yourself. And at that moment, like if you said no multiple times, you didn't feel comfortable and you just needed to leave. Like that is, that's what you do to protect yourself. Yeah. And that was kind of what happened in the moment. And I talked to the organizers about it. They kind they were like, do you want us to speak to this person about it? I was like, no, if it comes to it again, and I see this person like me and Alex will speak to him about what happened. But then later on, that person was doing an impact course, or um, they were teaching impact at a different space. And that was when I felt the need to step in because I was like, you know, if this person isn't aware of socially sensitive or racially sensitive impacts and implements, how are they going to teach a course and it's going to be safe? Yeah. Were you able to, were you able to have that conversation and have that positive change that you were kind of hoping for? Even if it wasn't, you know, in the moment that night, you were able to come back on your own terms and do it and have it. And in a way that felt good to you. 
We, I think that class ended up getting canceled because unfortunately I was not the first person they had a weird racial interaction with. Interesting. So when I brought it to the organizers of the event, um, they were like, and they had already known that this had occurred. (laughs) Um, they were like, yeah, um, this person is going through, uh, racial justice training. I think the organizers of the event I had been, um, speaking to previously, had kind of suggested he do that. They just didn't bring up my name or the situation. Sure. So that was good. It was really for me about not having the spoons to do it because I was prepared to, but I was also like, maybe I'll see this person. Maybe I won't. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I appreciate that. I appreciate like the way you approach all of that. And you are an advocate for yourself and for the rest of the community. And I think that's amazing. And it takes it's not easy because like you said, like it could impact your work. It could impact you getting invited back or being able to promote these things. And so you've got more on the line than just like, well, maybe it'll be awkward for me if I come back to this party. It's I may not make a living now. Um, and so there's like an additional layer there that can be a, extra coercive in a way, even if it's not intentional. Yeah, it was one of the reasons I decided I actually did need to step back from the full-time work online because I realized I wasn't being as true to myself as I want to. And part of my work is a lot of racial advocacy, even though people, even though I might not say things in as plain words in my writing, it is all intersectional, which means it is for everyone at in a anti-capitalist, anti-racist, um, all of that type of way. And that ability to not talk about these things was impacting my work. (laughs) Um, yeah, you can't show up and do the work like confidently enough to do the work without risking. Can I eat tonight or, you know, pay rent next month. And now that you have a little more security, I think it, it sounds like it gives you the, it gives you the confidence to go back in and do that work without the filter, without the censorship. Yeah, for sure. My priority right now, I think to kind of go full circle is really like creating community. And I've done a lot of things personally to try and facilitate that. It's, you know, it's hard to make friends as an adult. It's even harder in a ridiculous city like New York. Um, (laughs) But I wanted to find people who made me happy and like cultivate relationships with them. So that's mostly what I've been working on. I've been working on trying to like find a group of people of color who I really fit with. And I'm slowly finding that my friend, one of my partners introduced me to a friend and he throws these POC only, well, POC focused sex parties and they are so beautiful and everyone is so happy there and everyone you know just feels comfortable it's super consent forward when there's an incident like the last time we went to one somebody had to be asked to leave um because they were just acting inappropriately and they were probably too high to be there anyway and you know my friend he calls me the next day and he was like you know i just want to check did you have any uncomfortable interactions with this person they're not going to be asked to come back and i think that's really how we should treat these parties. What I've noticed truly is the minute you put a ticket on it, the minute you make it about more than meeting and having fun, the minute it is something you are promoting, you're taking a lot of the heart out of it, a lot of the personality out of it. And it, the more it becomes like a business, the more and more people are at risk. Yeah. 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 Which is an interesting thing to balance because you want to create more and more of these spaces and they cost, right? They cost resources. Mm -hmm. And so it's like you get to a tipping point of like, how do I then balance keeping it authentic and safe, but also be able to make it reach more people because now I have to rent a space and I have to get whatever catering. And, and now there's like almost a forced business piece of it. And that's such a challenge to like balance. But yeah. I think it's a, it's a, amazing, though, like that that space exists. Yeah, it's still very small and it's like the, a little invite only. And I feel sad that it's not we can't do more. But mm-hmm. 
I'm kind of in a resting stage right now, like a incubation stage, trying to like figure out personal stuff so I can like quote unquote return to the community. Yeah. But I've, I have like small things in the works. I've like had conversations with people to try and make events happen that are more enriching and more welcoming for people of color specifically. Um, my thing always is I, if there aren't black people in the room, black people aren't going to want to come. Right. And I find that if you have a lot of people of color in the room, but you don't have black people in the room, there's a respectability issue going on too. <laughs> so it's really interesting to navigate that as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky and interesting. Maybe is a good word. Mm-hmm. Like is it's, it's Yeah. I wish I had all of the answers. I clearly don't. There are no answers. <laughs> they're yeah. not. They're not. No, and I just, I wanted to say like a huge amount of gratitude for like doing that work and stepping into that. And even like you said, like you're taking some, some like regenerative time right now to figure out how to come back into that. But like, that's powerful work. So thanks for doing that. I do my best. Um, we all say like healing isn't linear. So it's very interesting, like the ebbs and flows and the regressions and all of that stuff that happens because you want to be the best version for yourself. You want to be the best version of yourself for your partners. You want to be the best version of yourself for your community. And if we don't take care of ourselves, you you can't do any of that. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't show up and help other people if you're not able to take care of yourself. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for, for all of that conversation and for mm-hmm. the work that you're doing, but also for sharing, sharing all of that. It's um, really, really good to talk about. So thank you for that. Uh, I was going to, unless you have more to say on that topic, I was going to switch topics a little bit. Yeah, let's switch topics. That good? <laughs> okay. Um, you had mentioned before the interview that you went on Red Table Talk, and we wanted to just ask you about that and ask you about your experience and if you could share a little bit more. Yeah. In April of 2021, I went on Red Table Talk with my partner, Alex, um, and also my friend, Gab, Alexa, Gabrielle, Alexa, and a polyamorous while Asian was also on it. We, but physically it was me, Gabby and Alex. So that was, it was a fun experience. It was stressful. Obviously it's television. Um, But I think they were very respectful when we had the conversation. What a lot of people don't see is I think the episode was 30 to 40 minutes long. Um, We filmed for four hours. (laughs) Oh, wow. And it was really interesting because uh, with Red Table Talk, it's Willow, Jada, and Gammy. Gammy did not, she was like, I don't understand this, like, she was like, is this not just a sexual thing? She was like, I think she did straight up ask Alex, like, why get married if you're going to do this? Um, <laughs> uh, but I'm used to those questions. So I was ready. Um, I talked about them about solo polyamory for like an hour and they cut most of that out. Um, but overall it was, it was a nice experience. We got to go to their house. They live on this huge compound basically in the middle of nowhere there's no service (laughs) so wow that was that was wild yeah yeah no that's such a cool experience yeah that was amazing and just over the last yeah i guess call it year and a half since we talked to you are there are there any other like big big things big shifts exciting things like that that have that have happened with you or for you or to you I, I, I've worked with some really great brands. Like I've worked with Balesa um, to kind of, you know, get vibrators and ethical porn out there. And that's been a nice collaboration. Um, I've gotten to write a lot of things. Um, the writing aspect of my career is something I am currently putting on hold. But um, I also met an amazing, amazing friend. Uh, have you heard of Josh Fox? Do you know anything? He's a filmmaker, um, a kind of environmental activist. Um, the reason most of us know about fracking is him. Um, so he's an amazing friend that I met because I was on his show and it's actually been really interesting to cultivate a friendship with like someone he's in, he's, we, we have the same birthday. 
<laughs> and um, but he's like 25 years older than me. So just like this kind of intergenerational friendship has been really nice. And, you know, we've talked about maybe doing a project here and there, but it's kind of on hold now. So it's just been good to like really meet wonderful people. And I've like been introduced to so many of the non-monogamous creators and they've been really great. So I am really grateful for all that I've learned, but I will say it really did burn me out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. amazing too. Well, and, and maybe that's a good segue into like, you know, we've talked a little bit about the fact that you've taken on a full-time job, but it sounds like you haven't totally put away your freelance um, hat. And so for, for people that want to find out more about what you're creating and support your work, what, like, what does that work look like today and how can people find you and support that and get more of you? I'm still on Instagram as by Gabrielle Smith. I am still tweaking with what the platform's going to look like now. I've, I was posting like three times a week, uh, and that's not super. That's not super tenable right now. But I kind of want to go a more creative element. Um, one of my partners is a videographer, and we've kind of been pitching some ideas. So I think we might go into the more artistic or like romantic side of non-monogamy, which could be fun. Um, and maybe like a more, uh, some video journalism in that way, because I think there are a lot of questions and there are a lot of stories out there and we're past the education point. And it's really about how do people live and what are they learning? So that's something that I'm in talks about that could be fun. But yeah, Instagram by Gabrielle Smith. I took like a month or two break um, because I got, I started a new job, then I got COVID, then I got strep. Um, so it was quiet, but it will not be quiet forever. Yeah. Hey, no worries. Ours was quiet for three and a half years. So, uh, <laughs> oh, our Instagram, <laughs> our Instagram. So yeah, <laughs> we understand it. Well, and there's back to the point earlier, self-care is important. You can't show up for everybody else if you can't take care of yourself. So, um, I think I like that theme is so important and it's just really good to a reminder to people as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, is there anything we haven't asked about, talked about, today that that you want to get out there before we let you go and get into your Friday evening and hang out this weekend? I don't know. Do you guys have any questions or anything you wanted to expand on more that we talked about? No, I can't think. think I mean, I'm sure we could talk for hours, but Mm -hmm. like if there's, it it was sort of like, is there anything like burning in your, and in your mind that you want to just shout out into the universe? We wanted to give you that. that Yeah. I feel like we covered a pretty good Mm -hmm. amount of things. There are things I would love to talk about that I can't, um, <laughs> but because uh, I would, I would love to talk about abuse and polyamory, but it's not my abuse, so I can't. Yeah. But one day. Well, <laughs> we understand that and we respect it. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Gabrielle, for coming yeah. on, for sharing everything you've done, for all the work you do and the work it sounds like you're going to continue doing and what that looks like. And I hope in another year or two, we get to bring you back on and hear what the next big project is and we can throw some support behind that. So yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And if you guys ever, I'm always down to talk. I'm always down to talk or if you need like, um, if you need people or like suggestions, whatever, like maybe next time me and Alex can come on or me and a partner. We'd love like that. that. That would be amazing. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, until then, have a fantastic day, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. much. And, and we're, we're back. back. Oh, nailed it. Nailed it. Listeners of last week will remember that I hung him out to dry on this. <laughs> oh, anyway, story of my life. Whoa. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, is this our new therapy? <laughs> right. We're going to air our dirty laundry right here. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. It was just too good not to say. Anyway. (laughs) You're on your own for the rest of the outro. Uh, Thank you, Gabrielle, for coming on the show, for everything that you shared today, and for doing it a second time. We loved hearing the update, and we so appreciate all the work that you do as well. Yeah. I I know I promised not to talk, but I need to say thank you for (laughs) for the work you do to move forward. The inclusivity and and everything that is going on in this space that is that is really 
growing and blossoming and you're sort of at the forefront of it. So thank you for being there and thank you for kicking ass and taking names. Yes, thank you. And a quick reminder to anyone out there who wants to go check out her work, you can find her on her Instagram account. Links are in the show notes. And if you want to go listen to part one, the first part of our conversation with with Gabrielle back in uh, episode 151 from October 2020, you can go do that as well. Links are also in the show notes. Before we let you go, just a couple of quick reminders. First up, our upcoming virtual meet and greet is October 18th. That's next week, next Tuesday. We'd love to have you join us. These are open to anyone. You just must be open-minded and respectful. And you can go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com and find information about how to sign up for that and sweatshirts and shirts. Give love sweatshirts and shirts. We love them. We're excited about them. And they're the perfect holiday gift. So anything else you have to add? I was just going to say next week, we're taking the week off. We've decided. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I'm not allowed to talk. Uh, No, we are not taking the week off. We have another interview for you. Gasp. Yeah. You never wouldn't have known, huh? Anyway, next week, we are talking to Taylor and Andrew. It's a fantastic, another one, another fantastic conversation. So come back and listen then. And I think that's it. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. No. Bye, everyone. No. Thanks for listening. (laughs) You can't swoop in and take my job. I've been storing it up. I've just been resting my vocal cords so I could come in at the end and save the day. Okay. Well, I think that's officially it. We'll let you go. I'll go on with the rest of your day. And bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.